0: it starts like this with the sound of rain heard not on leaves or the roof of a hut but from deep inside the earth
1: and it starts like this with wild cyclamen the architecture of its petals like a folded secret their color resonantly pink against the damp brown of late summer soil a flower as riddle
2: and it starts like this with the three most common characteristics of gardeners Economy, simplicity and hospitality.
3: Hark how we cry in every street make lines and Nice and rare, all in a pleasant, lofty it's
4: Such a beautiful time of year, isn't it? Because with everything just starting to green up. I would love it if people came and felt that they could experience this because it's right here in the middle of the community and it's for people. To come in and enjoy it doesn't matter what they do they can just walk around or they can sit and soak it up but it's important that they know it's here
3: Rosemary, thyme, come by my
5: great view of the medicine garden and you look out over the city. The more I know about the plants the more I enjoy looking at them and seeing how they all relate to each other. Very unusual, especially for this very urbanized part of central London. It's a wild habitat maybe similar to what this area would have been like before it was part of London. It is an opportunity to leave the urban jungle and enter this fecundant, very dense forest, surrounded by tower blocks and social housing and, and the sort of financial district in the, in the distance. We are currently sitting in the Bethnal Green Nature Reserve, which is the site that hosts the Phytology Project. The Nature Reserve is an old bomb site from the Second World War that was fenced off in the 1960s, early 70s, and it created an opportunity where there was no human development or activity and a lot of habitat and biodiversity took hold. My name is Michael Smythe, and I'm an artist and producer based in London and I have a company called Nomad Projects which is a commissioning foundation that produces contemporary art. What I did with my collaborators is develop a project within the nature reserve which goes under the name of Phytology. And over the last three years we've been establishing the whole site as a cultural institute for public engagement, for the visual arts, also for the production of food and medicine.
2: It starts like this. Folded inside the word consider is an invitation to see with the stars. Considere. In the 16th century notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci, there is this remark. We know more about the movement of celestial bodies than about the soil underfoot. In the margins of these notebooks are delicate drawings of cyclamen. Fat. Sweet. Open. That's how the Romans described the best soils. A fertile soil alchemizes air water and earth, to create and nurture an endless variety of organic life. In every handful, there are over seven billion microorganisms. Impossible to see in the palm of your hand, the miniature universe of the soil's constitution appears through the lens of a microscope to resemble a vast, uncharted, starlit sky. A cosmos whose patterns we've still as yet to discern. Seeing with the stars, we might remember that focus was not only a gardener and a host, but also stardust. We're all stardust. Or rather, everything is stardust. After his death, the elements found in Focus's stardust began to quietly release themselves into his surroundings. The carbon in his body mostly went into the air as CO2, whilst his iron and phosphorus, magnesium and potassium, selenium and copper slowly dissolved into the soil around him. His elements nourishing his garden as it once had nourished him. The soil absorbs what comes its way. That's its generosity and its fate. It makes room for what falls into it.
5: The voice commission is about a year and a half in the making. I worked with two emerging artists, Duncan Robertson and Lucia Montero.
6: Okay, so I'm Lucia Montero, I'm a visual artist, multimedia artist.
7: Uh, My name is Duncan Robertson, Uh, I'm an artist, I work primarily with uh, sound, but I also perform as well.
5: They started the conversation of how the site can rewrite its own history in a way, and the process of how one goes about writing an identity of a place such as this into history and out of that came the idea of a residency commissioning a group of writers to occupy the site for the spring and summer of last year and just invite them to observe the site and and make new works about pretty much anything that draws them in.
7: It started when we were working here about three years ago, we were helping to install everything We, we learned about all the plants that were growing and we learned about the scientific history and we became interest in the cultural history of, of the plants.
6: Yeah, we realised how much uh, knowledge it involved and we decided to do some research about the folklore of the site, the folklore of the medicinal plants that we were working with. This research was very productive and it led us to the oral heritage of of the place and um, through poems and sayings and old songs and then we realized we we wanted to do a project that communicates the idea of phytology yeah we
7: we thought there was like a an interesting parallel between the way the um the knowledge was being transferred by the gardeners to to people on site and we kind of saw there were similarities in that you know like when you're a child you hear all kind of Songs or songs and things which teach you about usage of 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 plants and all you know teaches you how to kind of understand the world and that knowledge transfer is something we we're very interested in.
5: What we have is five new commissions, new audio commissions, with the writers reading the works. Then that has been transformed into a sound installation that punctuates the whole woodland area. So as you walk through the site, you activate speakers and you hear the the text works being read out to you and what is kind of interesting is you every time somebody engages with the work it changes due to what's happening within and outside of the boundaries of the site which is quite quite exciting the observations that they make in the written text sometimes overlaps with what's happening outside it feels very alive to me even though it's now recorded and installed within the site for that reason and in a way for me it's an incredible songbird there. I very much like making works that don't just end with the exhibition. The voice commission will keep on evolving and, and being affected, I guess, by what's happening in and around the site. There's Sarah Westcott, whose um, piece we have "Charm for Delayed Birth."
6: Yeah, it's the first piece that you can hear when you are entering the in the area of installation, and we thought it was the perfect piece because of the warmth that it contains it's a good welcome to you know to the voiced area somehow and it was it's a bit cyclical as well the charm
7: she was very interested in looking back into the history of how rhythm and tone can give meaning to something
6: yeah and the place also it's more intimate that place when you pass through Sarah's area so it felt good with the content of the of the poem as well
7: yeah and it kind of has a really nice level of light which comes through it so it's got lots of like dappled sunlight It's a very calm space it's kind of just on a bend which sets the tone for kind of a a meandering experience that you can have whilst you're going through it
4: you can hear the birds Charm for delayed birth Let the woman who cannot carry her bairn Go to the grave bed, step three times over Say earth, earth, mother of earth Help me against late birth, the lame And when that woman goes to rest With her beloved man in bed May he feed and tend to her Say up you go, over you step Full with our first-born birthling Swelling and fattening, ripening And when the mother senses The quickening and the dropping Woman with a cradle she cannot fill Let her go to a child's resting place Pick a flower from the grave Wrap it in black wool And throw the petals far like bad corn, far away. Then let her draw milk from the mildest beast and sip it from her palm. Take her to the stream to say, everywhere I have carried you, strong, tight and firm. And I shall carry until you are born and then I shall carry you home. I think they've um, curated it really nicely because Um, there's quite a lot of connections between the pieces but none of them um, kind of cancels out the other and i love the music just coming into the edges of this this poem i'm sarah westcott i was really delighted to be one of the poets in residence at the site for me i guess i write a lot about nature and um it was just a really inspiring beautiful place within a very urban area. I decided to write about some of the specific plants growing here and obviously there's a long history of people using plants and herbs for medicinal purposes which is something that the Phytology site is actively encouraging now. I decided to look at some of the old remedies and kind of bring them into a modern context and I wanted to write something musical as well that was meant to be spoken and heard because obviously in those days books were quite rare and most people weren't literate so a lot of knowledge was passed down orally and i decided to look at these beautiful old anglo-saxon elf charms which were used as um, medicinal remedies and actually there's some scientific truth in them that was later proven there's only a handful in existence, and they're for quite random ills, such as water elf disease, which some think was chickenpox, or a wen, which is like a sebaceous cyst on the skin. So they're really fun to translate, but I wanted something original, so I decided to use the charm for delayed birth and then work in some of the herbs and remedies found from this site. Um, and actually I was quite heavily pregnant at the time of writing so I think that probably unconsciously fed into the, the poem as well. It was just a really special place to come to because we could come whenever we wanted and it was these long summer nights and I would come here and let myself into the site and just sit amongst the trees and the plants and the insects and just feel like I could soak up the atmosphere of somewhere that is quite historical and ancient and special and I aim to reflect that in in my poems and maybe pass on a little bit of that quality to the listeners.
5: Here we are basically making steaks for the medicine garden which will have different species the name of the species written on them and really the meadow in a sense is I guess quite unremarkable on one level it looks like anywhere else in the site kind of wild overgrown but what is different is that it's essentially a raised bed that's been sunken into the ground and the soil is free of contamination so we can grow an organic medicine garden that is a meadow culture, so all the plants are interspersed. It looks almost like a an abandoned piece of land, should, in the height of spring. But each plant within here is very well considered, and there's 30 varieties that, that we've seeded up and kind of established over the last three years of being open. The planting scheme was designed by Peter Giovannini from Kew Gardens, who's a ethnobotanist. And my brief to him was basically to design me a seeding program of medicinal plants that have ongoing medicinal value and plants that will be found on the streets of London for, you know, say the last thousand years. So indigenous per se, ongoing medicinal and each plant had to be peer reviewed to get into the meadow. So there's nothing speculative. There's nothing that was once thought to be good for this or that. Even though it looks quite wild, it's very tightly controlled basically.
8: I think when people are maybe visualising a meadow they're expecting to see grass. So we have intentionally excluded grass from our seed mix because it tends to do really well and compete with everything else. We call it a meadow because it is non-woody, non-shrubby plants. So all of these things are what we would call herbaceous and they essentially they die down in winter. There's a mixture of perennials and annuals, so that's quite common to a meadow. You might see a mixture of the two. It's not a hedgerow, and it's not a woodland, so, so we call it a meadow. <laughs> My name is Gabby, and I am a gardener.
5: Gabby is the head of the site, really. She helped develop the medicinal garden, and she's helped really nurture and develop the wider site over the last three years?
8: Well, we're standing in front of something at the moment, quite a big plant here called comfrey or symphytum. It's got another common name which is knit bone. So traditionally this plant was used internally and externally to help heal wounds, so damaged ligaments, fractures. What you would do is you'd make a poultice using either the leaves or the roots mash it up, smear it on the outside. You can also make an infused oil using the foliage or the roots and it's been proven to speed up recovery.
5: All of the gardeners have varying different backgrounds. One's an architect, another one's an anthropologist, another one is a playwright and a herbalist. Everyone on site does have a lot of knowledge about what the plants do, but the herbalist is there just to kind of guide and consult and make sure that when people do come, they have a really rich experience and and they have access to knowledge. All this is free to the public as well, which is very important that you know, if you do have any questions or any requirements, we're equipped on site to kind of guide you for the, you know, the best plant and also the best way to use it.
8: Normally at the weekends, we'd have two gardeners on site. We also have volunteers as well, and people are welcome to drop in at any time during that period and ask anything they want they'll be shown where things are grown, and also what time of year those things might be best to use, where they might be able to find them. So through our intern programme we've been able to train up a small team of people who know quite a lot about the plants that we do have here. Can we go and sit in the shed? So we are sitting at the east end of the medicinal meadow and we're looking out across the meadow and at the very far end you can just about see the street which is part of Bethnal Green and what we are sitting on is our tool chest which is full of books and also various dried things and pickled things and alcoholic things that we (laughs) made last year this chest is a bit scary it often includes things they've got forgotten about But I did spot something in here earlier that was interesting what do we have So this is a jar of dried plantain which would have been picked last year by our volunteers and our interns in the garden so this was available to buy or we would do tastings of the tea every week we'd have free fresh tea so if you dropped in you could just try anything in the garden but because the dried teas take a bit of preparation. This is something that you would have been able to buy.
9: What the people want. The dandelion envies fireworks. Anyway, it's no wonder. Up there are fistfuls of copper punching into stars. And these people don't have time for sporadics, feather driftings castings off with no rhythm. They want to see the lion's mouth roar open with light. They want a bright life and a quick death. They want opening ceremonies, birthdays, bonfire night, and I don't blame them. I could never tilt their faces to these small ejaculations, this flotsam, these parachutes in the grass. With these I toss myself out. With these, I count the ones who love me, love me not.
5: This is a piece by the poet David Nash. and David has written a piece called What the People Want, along with several other poems. David, in a lot of his work, takes a perspective of inanimate objects or, or the foliage and plants growing around the site. His work is quite cheeky and very kind of quick-witted and, and very observational. Uh, sort of critiquing, I guess, human folly that kind of folds around everywhere in a city like this.
3: I keep picking up all the litter everywhere out on the site now, so Link's bottles, Link's and the there. So then I can keep making more
6: re-planting others. <laughs>
5: We're in the eastern side of the Nature Reserve, which is what we call the woodland. And we've, we're sort of standing in the middle of an installation by a Birmingham-based artist called Lucy McLaughlin. Lucy was commissioned to make works that can be, I guess, perceived as sculpture, um, three-dimensional work. But the main brief was that the objects should be useful for non-human life. So she normally assembles sculptures and installations out of found materials, be it junk, plastics, barrels, and the likes, even natural materials like wood and sticks and stones. And she assembles them into strange, almost primitive-like sculptures and covers them in her iconographical mark making, which is usually monochromatic, black and white lots of faces and sort of psychedelic shapes, which plays with the idea of modern, primitive totems, I guess. Mm -hmm. But on a more quiet level, each of the objects are opportunities for bird nests, squirrel nests, bat nests, and amphibian and insect nests. So all of them have little openings, all of them have things inside of them that could be useful for non-human habitation which was, uh, I guess, the primary mm-hmm. inspiration for how this work would develop. As a street artist, she, she stands out for me, for her ability to kind of really question the hard edges of the city and, and the role of art within that to change people's experiences of the urban environment. And so she agreed to take on this commission, I think, because it allowed her to make work in a more wild, context, I guess, but keeping in mind this very porous relationship this site has. You know, if you sit long enough, you notice that some of the birds are already starting to occupy and the squirrels are kind of checking out and and the bats are already in one of the boxes. It's kind of curious, the agency of the installation, um, how it will be inhabited.
1: Silica, fire ice it starts like this with volcanoes ash and lava and about 200 million years and with the earth forming a crust and mountains appearing
0: and it starts like this ice water gravity wind the ways in which soil is formed from the bedrock and stays put, or gradually migrates to a new place. Originally, all that time ago, soil was the only material on earth that could hold water. It became the place where water, earth and air could interact in a subtle and complex series of systems that keep us all alive. Penicillium. Tungsten. Neodymium. Three discoveries in soil. The first gave rise to a life-saving drug. The second allowed the invention of the light bulb. And the third is used in magnets to make speakers vibrate and create sound. There are around 90 other elements in soil, minerals or metals, that we have unearthed and make use of. The soil, still so unknown, keeps on revealing itself as a source of endless magic. It's always busy generating and releasing, absorbing and decaying. It is both robust and fragile. Its network more cobweb than circuitry. Only by replacing what we take can we keep it fertile. If soil seems eternal, this is just a myth that we tell ourselves because we have trouble understanding its time scale. One day, given the right conditions, even soil will grow old and die.
5: Lucy Cash is a visual artist that works with text and she made a long format piece of writing called To The Land.
1: And I'm I guess what you would call an interdisciplinary artist in that I make work in different forms for different kinds of spaces, some of it's in galleries, some of it's site specific. A lot of my practice is socially engaged so I work with different communities sometimes and I really love being able to go between those different spaces and working with different people and having different kinds of viewers and audiences for my work. I definitely came here to the site quite a lot and just would sit and write and listen. I spent a lot of time listening, really listening to all the layers of sound and that's one of my favourite things about this place is that because of where it's situated you hear sound all around the perimeters of the fence and you have this amazing sense of being right in the middle of a city and yet somehow removed and there is this sense of timelessness as you enter into the space so it has this kind of yeah magic garden quality and oh, it's brilliant it's just starting to rain now which was something that happened when I first came here and I sat here and just listened to the rain and then the airplane and then a train I could hear in the distance, someone talking on their mobile phone. So I I really felt like it was a place where if you love sound and daily sounds and are just really intrigued by beginning to separate out all of that sonic landscape that's around us then this place is a really fantastic place to do that in. Um, The other thing was that I feel like I spend a lot of my time looking up at things and I decided to set myself the task of looking down and trying to find out about something that I didn't know anything about, which was the soil. Um, (laughs) In my innocence, of course, uh, I didn't realise quite how complex soil science is. So I can genuinely say I did do a lot of reading and I only know a tiny, 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 tiny fraction, of course, of what there is possible to know. But then you have to ask yourself what is the role of a writer really and an artist and it's not my role to explain all the science, not in any way, there are other experts to do that but I did really get excited about what happens when you consider something that you normally overlook and you take for granted and how in a thoughtful way to bring attention to that and the soil is really a phenomenal resource we could be much more mindful about how we approach the soil and its uses. It starts like this, with November and horse chestnut trees. On November the 7th, 1851, there was a hard frost on the ground with the smell of snow in the air. And the rooks were making that noise that they always make on winter mornings. A small crowd, including Edward Trent, a local rope maker, and Henry Gray, the minister of St. Jude's, gathered to plant five trees on this site. Two of the trees were positioned either side of the steps on the western side of the church. These trees, both horse chestnuts, were named for Trent's daughters. The tree planted to the south was named Louisa, and the tree to the north, Letitia. During the ceremony, it's recorded that both of the little girls put their tiny hands to work. The name Letitia comes from the Latin for joy. The movement of joy is elation, from elitere, to rise up. Letitia. helpful name for a tree. In Greek and Roman myth the river god Peneus transforms his daughter Daphne into a tree so that she can escape the amorous advances of Apollo. A 15th century Italian painting shows Daphne mid-transformation, her long blonde hair still falling brightly over her shoulders whilst her raised arms are already covered in dark green bay leaves. At this moment in time, on this tiny piece of land, we might consider the relationship between the trees and the soil a kind of conversation, a dialogue of exchange. The form of what I wrote definitely emerged as part of the process, and that's often how I work. And. I found that when I was sitting here writing, I just kept feeling, especially in relation to the soil where so much begins, this phrase, it starts like this, just emerged and and I kept ignoring it for a while. It kept coming back and there's something about the rhythm of it and the idea of things start in so many different ways. And that became a way for me to make the piece available to people so that you could listen to a section that says it starts like this, and then you could decide to go away and come back again and in a sense pick the piece up in different places so that you don't feel like you have to sit through it all in one go and I love that momentum of like here's another way things begin, here's another way and another way and um, like folding back a layer and then another layer and then there's a shift and the last section there's a sense of it ends like this and I I made that shift there so that you, if you're somebody who likes to feel that they've got to the end of it, you would get that sense that you have got to the end of it. But I'd also be really delighted if you started at the end and then stayed for it to begin again.
5: We wanted to position the Lucy Cash piece in a, a clearing in a way. And there are some logs here that are opportunities for people to sit as well, which were here before the piece was installed. The logic of that was it allowed the audience member to sit and see a wider part of the nature reserve. It's also positioned within a a sward of plants, which changes rapidly. So we've just had a a huge collection of onion grass and wild garlic come up and that's slowly fading to reveal a, a large collection of bluebells. And soon the cyclamen will start coming up and the cyclamen features heavily in her work.
1: I mean the site lends itself to these different pockets of space, sometimes some pieces feel like the sound is almost umbrellaed by the branches of the trees and depending on the shape of the tree and where they've placed the speaker it feels like it's just kind of hanging in the air above you. For me as an artist I'm really really interested in the relationship between my work and its audiences and when I was writing I was imagining the future of it here and and how it would be installed and imagining somebody listening to the writing and I'm particularly pleased about this it's a very in-between spot which is really pleasing to me I like being in between other things so we've gone past uh, Sarah and David and then um, we're right it's almost feels like we're, we've come away from the little amphitheatre and we're Right in the heart of what I think of as um, the train side of the space—that's what I think of it as. Um, but there's something about. Yeah. I don't. I don't actually have a name for this spot. It's a kind of nameless spot, and I, did, I had no idea where the work would be placed.
0: It starts like this. It's a gleamy day full of quick bursts of fat rain, followed by fitful sunshine. Next to you an oak leaf falls to the ground, heavy with water, and a blackbird sings, its song sweet and sharp, polished by the rain. The scribbles of light on petal and leaf, and the many shades of green wrap themselves around you the bottle green of the ivy, and the emerald green of the fern. Chloris is Greek for pale green.
1: One of the things that's really nice about all of the nature reserve here, but I suppose this bit in particular, is because the tree foliage is quite dense, you get this lovely dappling of light that happens. Um, And so in this spot here, I really enjoy the fact that we've got this beautiful, uh, and light f- and shadow that's happening the on the ground.
0: And the plantain is running riot. There's a lesson going on just across the playground. The teacher calls out, stop talking, which is followed by muffled laughter and shuffling. You can feel that the uniformed bodies are only lightly and chaotically there. The most part when I was here last summer, The school
1: that's over the other side, and you could really feel like it was the last lessons of summer, and that the kids were just desperate to go on their summer holidays. Um, The energy of them kind of sort of remaining in their seats and not like getting up and just running out the door was really clear to (laughs) hear. It felt very strong. You
0: had when you were small enough to sit beneath a table in your own private underworld, around and above which the adult domain in all its mysterious codes unfolded.
1: And another thing I love about this space is that it's has a, a tremendous amount of beauty to be found in it, but it's also very real. Um, it's a little oasis space in the middle of, really in the middle of the city. And it doesn't try to exclude life, it totally includes life and everything that happens around it. And I really like that you can hear traffic passing by at the same time as you can see bluebells
0: but created by a crowd of different colors packed closely together. Back now, you can hear the noise of the world circumnavigating the fence, the flow of people.
1: Sarah said when I saw her earlier, that she hasn't been back here since last summer. And she said that even just entering the space, she felt like time had done a weird kind of slippage and she was back then or Well, she may be somewhere else entirely entirely in time.
0: (laughs) The thrum of a motorcycle accelerating. Distant trains making the track sing. An aeroplane descending. A dog barking. Another dog answering. Hurried footsteps. Strolling footsteps. Feet running. All sounds feel connected as if parts of a vast, well-intended symphony whose reach extends far beyond you. You remember reading that there is no such thing as a clear brown, only a muddy one, muddy like the soil.
3: Have you any old boots or any old shoes, pouch rings or buskins to cope for new brooms? If so, you have maidens, I bring you a there that you and I friendly may bargain together. New brooms, green brooms, oh, will you have any? Come, maidens, come quickly, let me take a penny. So, this is where our piece is. I think because, like, we were just talking to the other people, how you. It, the melody carries quite a long way rather than just if it was spoken and that's quite nice because you just get a little bit of it on the wind now and
5: again. So where we're standing right now is by the Stick in the Wheel installation. And Stick in the Wheel spent the residency period excavating and unearthing different street cries by people that used to sell plants for food and medicine throughout the neighbouring Bethnal Green area, and also people that used to make objects such as brooms. This is a piece called brooms, and it's one of two works that they made for the residency.
3: Ian and I, separately, both have relatives who used the church when they were here, and that, for us, is like a, a direct connection to the site, so that was where we started. We started looking at the history, and we started mapping out the site to see, you know, we were interested in where the church was and where the trees were and the topography of everything. I'm Nicola Keary and I'm part of the band Sticking the Wheel.
9: Uh, I'm Ian Carter
0: and I'm also part of the band Sticking the Wheel. I play the guitar, <laughs> Nick sings.
3: There's five of us in the band and Ian and I kind of are in charge of it.
5: Yeah, I think we say we started it. All right, we started it.
3: Yeah, so when we do projects like this, it's normally just the two of us and then we get the band involved if we need. So we're a folk band primarily and we've been going in this form for about three years and we perform traditional music and we're English and we're from London and our families go back five generations in London. So we're Hmm. pretty much, uh, you know, all about
0: london yeah Spe- specifically east london yeah, sort of east culture
5: london. and stuff like that
3: new brooms green brooms oh will you have any come maidens come quickly let me take a penny my brooms are not steeped but very well bound my brooms be not crooked But smooth, cut and round I wish it would please you to butt of my broom Then it would ease me if market were done New brooms, green brooms Oh, will you have any? Come, maidens, come quickly Let me take a penny New brooms, new brooms Oh, will you have any? Come, maidens, come quickly, let me take a penny. We spent a lot of time sitting around, didn't we? And just like Mm -hmm. absorbing what the site was and how it felt. And we could always hear the kids down the road shouting out. So that sort of sing-song vibe you know sort of felt right and then we were just looking at street cries because of our families being associated with the area and there are a lot of market gardeners around here who used to sell what they produced on the street
5: and they relating into what they do here the phytology thing yeah and
3: we what so we wanted to the other piece that we do has got some street cries of people who sell uh, herbs and stuff like that so that was quite nice to bring that in yeah so the piece called brooms is about a broom seller who probably in in the day did grow the wood for their brooms if you know what i mean so that all related yeah uh, that came from a book of street cries of which there are about 5 going back to the 17th century yeah so should we go yeah. this way yeah. we did some field recordings around this spot we wanted to capture some sounds, but as we went on, we, I mean, we kind of processed those field recordings, and that's how we came up with one of the other pieces. One of those just really lucky accidents when we were in the London Metropolitan Archives and we were looking at the baptism records, in the very front of one of them is a little bit of text that talks about two trees being planted just after the church was consecrated and it being named after two of the parish children. And that was like, to think that maybe it's one of those two trees is, you know, just that extra, just like a real sort of footnote, literally in baptism records. It just brings a place a bit more alive, you know. Lucy, I think, might've used that in her work as well. Yeah.
7: Well this is the uh, the writer's hut and this was a hut that was donated to the site and which didn't have a use for a little while but became uh, kind of the home and the, and the central location for for the, for the artists on their residency. It
4: might be locked at the moment. We'll have a look shall we. Yep here it is. So there's some um... It's a a lovely little wooden hut with a window and there's a really small old school desk in it with an inkwell and a little lid that you lift up. And we used to come in here and sit in here and write and it was just a really peaceful little sanctuary to think.
1: So at the start of the project,
4: this writer's hut was a
1: shed which was a little bit of a joke and it was covered over in Branches, and I remember coming down here one day with Duncan, and we kind of cleared it off. And then it started to transform into this space where each of us would go in and leave things um, behind, little trails of our process.
3: Actually, we never used this hut to write in, we just used it to leave bits of ephemera here for other people, like bits of broken pottery that we'd found on the site and photographs that we'd dug out and stuff like that. And uh, you know, we didn't, we just sort of left them there as. Messages.
0: Messages.
7: Yeah. That's, oh, that's the word you were looking for. It's quite minimal. Whilst uh, the writers were here in their residency, the site was open. So we, we wanted people to leave all the traces of their work that so people could come across and, and read and enjoy and to get a sense of, of the work that was happening.
6: Yeah, so we started to bring in some photographs that we found around in the area. And yeah, we left them here and then gradually. I think the writers and the artists started to leave their own traces.
5: Mm. The site is only open to the public one day a week. So the artists have, you know, six days where no one is here to look at the site and kind of use the shed and the wider site to make work and, and kind of think really, it's thinking space. Uh, where we're standing now is where we have installed James Nixon's piece called Blackout and James has spent a lot of time writing about war, a war poet to a degree and what he's done here is looked at the history of the site during the Second World War and written a poem about the moment in which the bomb was dropped on this footprint and the church and neighboring houses were split apart and really articulates The site's history up until this moment, within a one and a half minute piece. Blackout.
7: After damage sustained to St Jude's Church, Bethnal Green, in 1940. I'm jarred by the sound of a breakneck bomb, bewitching the search lit air. I'm out of my body and from above a rose gold crosshair. Daring the haywire sky I am already dead and feel like doing so Before the cleft second and pressure sucks Lungs chunked by a sudden butcher My navel blossoms like doggerel Religious innards are sent on mission To the edge of me A blown network I am strewn and bunged With bits of myself And fade out, crestfallen As cut fires Babylon in my fellow sanctuary James Nixon yeah so he has a like quite a biological uh, way of speaking about Approach, the site yeah yeah yeah, and, and it, he talks about it being ripped up like a almost like a body which is yeah powerful I guess yeah it's
6: very interesting for us
7: yeah he was less engaged with the gardening side of things and he was quite a solitary figure I think he, he, he came I think he spent one night here didn't he? In yeah,
6: he he stayed one night on site like listening and just watching the site from another perspective as well mm. like the sound and everything so it changed so much another thing. I'll show you the billboard
3: so this is a billboard
4: at the edge of the site there's this uh, great big billboard it's kind of several meters squared and um, it's positioned so that people can see it in the surrounding tower blocks and um, flats
5: we are standing in front of the billboard which is on the western side as well looking out over the financial district and community social housing the billboard Intentionally, jars with the site stands out, you know, it's an advertising board, really. But instead of commercials, we put up ideas and, and provocations and information, in a sense, that connects with different themes taking place on the site. There's a residency program of different visual artists throughout this year that will be making work directly for the billboard. Like the writers, the, the invitation of what themes they work with is quite broad, what spikes their interests within and just outside of this space. At the moment we have a work by Sam Warman. I'm a political
10: cartoonist and a comics journalist based in Melbourne, in Australia. Yeah, I draw pictures for newspapers, for activist groups, for my own self indulgent reasons or just trying to make sense of the world. Uh, I came to be involved in the Phytology project when Michael Smythe asked if I would be interested in developing an artistic response to the, the site And to the themes that the site represents.
5: Sam has this incredible ability to communicate complex ideas in a really fun way with a lot of integrity within his work. It's very clear, very strong. And I'm kind of drawn to the idea of graphic novels and cartoons as being something that's very accessible. I I perceive it as art, but a lot of people probably wouldn't give it that framework because they're. They're so used to seeing it within different contexts, be it newspapers and children grow up with comic books. So as a result, I think this medium can penetrate into the psyche of a broad range of people in a very direct way. Basically, I tried to do a meditative piece on human approaches to land in 2016. In response to ideas generated from the Phytology site, and he came up with the idea of dominion, the idea of borders, boundaries, access to land, ownership, who owns what in a city, is it public domain, is it private, and really questions throughout the long format essay the idea of access and transgression and and taking back one's space and the the desire to have one space, to be a healthy individual or a healthy society.
10: It's a pretty broad-ranging graphic essay, so told in the style of a a scrolling comic presented on the internet for free for everyone to access on their phones or their computers, and it touches on a a huge question that's quite gooey because the walls that surround nations already don't exist for certain people. Um, For me, for example, as a fairly upwardly mobile young white person can basically go anywhere I want on planet Earth. Um, so for me, there are no walls or boundaries in, in that sense, which seems pretty unfair when you look at a family who might be trying to flee war. They can't actually leave their nation, but I can go somewhere just because I want to go on a holiday and have some cheap cocktails. That seems pretty crazy. Also the fact that there's no boundaries for capital or money. Money flows wherever it likes to, just, just like animals do and that's something I touch on in the comic. Animals transgress borders daily, as do plants. It's less a question of, do we need these things? I'm more interested in thinking about what the implications of their existence are. I don't profess to know a lot about plants. I think that there's a great deal that people don't know. I don't know much about the inner world of plants, like what their reasons are. They probably do respect boundaries at some level. They probably have their own you know, internal constitution that they're adhering to, but the fact that they don't respect our boundaries is something that I tried to explore in the comic a little bit, because our priorities are, are largely invisible to them, especially in um, a space as, as wacky as the city. I think if you were to anthropomorphize them and give them a human mind, you would just imagine them shrugging their shoulders while they wound up
5: through the cracks. This billboard piece at the moment is one of several that will go up by Sam throughout the year and it says who has the keys and it is the the text is kind of rising up out of a drawing of a modern urban densely kind of populated city it's kind of uh, timely. We put the billboard up yesterday when the mayoral elections were on it's very apparent that this site is locked and then actually who does have the keys and that for me there lies a bigger conversation about why what we're trying to do is important the ownership of this land is quite mixed and because of that there hasn't been development on it so far and i guess by making this site valuable culturally it hopefully prevents development taking place so, in a sense, who has the keys to the site? You know, is it developers? Is it the council? Is it the people that once lived here? Is it the church? Or is it the community, like myself and my neighbours, that have actually established this new iteration of the site? So the billboard up here does challenge that idea. We, we have access to this site, but how, how long is it? And through our access, we've allowed it to be open again to the public so hopefully the public will have a bigger sense of ownership. Obviously the billboard's a provocation, but I feel like what we're doing is incredibly political, and actually a really important thing to be doing at this time in London. You know, occupying a piece of land like this, and going, actually this is something bigger than the sum of all of its parts.
3: how can we cry in every Lines and ring with our and
5: You've been listening to an hour of interviews, recordings, and original works from the Phytology site in Bethnal Green, East London. Featuring works by Lucy McLaughlin, Sam Warman, Duncan Robertson, and Lucy Montero, with original recordings by Lucy Cash, Sarah Westcote, David Nash, James Nixon, and Stick in the Wheel. You've also heard the voice of Gabby Boriston, our site gardener. The Phytology site is situated very close to the Bethnal Green Tube Station on the Central Line. And for more information about our program and opening hours, visit phytology.org.uk.
1: This piece was a Cultivators production, recorded and produced by Lucia
6: you Oh
3: fine herbs, it's well known Is elder buds To purge your blood But black your shoes is all the cry Come by my mint My fine green mint is lavender for your clothes Is parsley and winter savory? And our which you do choose? Is penny royal and marine? Come by
8: my neck to talk.